0: As we again gather to worship our God together, uh, I ask that you take your hymns of grace and turn to 176 hymns of grace, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart. As you're turning there, I just remind you about the church directory that's back there. If you've got to pick up one, you might want to pick up one. So uh, remember that. 176 in the hymns of grace. Let's stand together as we sing. afternoon. Brother Tim, would you lead us in that prayer, please? Amen. You may be seated.
1: We come to the book of Ecclesiastes today. A couple of words to be aware of that you will not find anywhere else, and well, one word you won't find anywhere else. Except in the book of Ecclesiastes, and that is what is translated in most versions, the preacher. Um, Kohelet is the Hebrew word, it occurs only in this book, but it does occur six times in this book, which is interesting. It uh, means, again, a gatherer, similar to the name of Agur that we had in Proverbs 30, but he's a gatherer of words. And uh, that's what he has done here, and his experience uh, as a man pursuing the meaning of life, I think, basically, is what we have here. He asks us good questions. Um, We had a good question, a a, a volley of good questions, and. Uh, chapter uh, 30 in Proverbs, who has gathered the wind in his fists, uh, etc. And what is his name? What is his son's name? And again, in, in this book, these are books of wisdom. In verse 3, we have a good question, something that every man needs to ask himself. Man, as mankind, of course. What advantage does man have in all his labor in which he labors under, his sun, under the sun? What are you doing here? Why am I here? <laughs> what's, what's the benefit? And so uh, we'll leave uh, that question uh, for later. And then he asks another good question in verse 10. Is there anything of which one might say, see, this is new. Why is it so important to men mankind to have things new. Why is that? It's the truth, right? The uh, Stoics and Epicureans uh, on Mars Hill, you can tell I read the King James, were involved, engaged in doing nothing but to hear or to tell some new thing. And so that's very important to men that there be something new. And he starts out with... uh, He does answer the question for us, says there's nothing new. Uh, I will ask you a question, is he right? (laughs) More about that later, perhaps. Anyway, for today, um, just a brief outline, four things uh, he gives us. Again, there's that number four that we had there in Proverbs 31. Uh, That number four, four um, things that happen over and over and over and over, and we are just lately come to this world, but it has been going on for generations. Generations come and go, the sun rises and sets, the wind comes around, and then it goes, the wind comes, the wind goes, it goes around as circuits, uh, as it will. Rivers flow down from the mountains, or from wherever they flow from go into the sea, but the sea is never full. And this just keeps happening over and over. And he he comes to this uh, tentative conclusion and says it's all vanity. It's it's wearisome. It's all full of labor and there's just no end. Everything's work and and labor. And so um, this book um, has been a favorite of mine For many years, but starting out as a young man even, but it's a favorite now for a very different reason than it was when I was a young man. This is a book that if you are uh, pessimistic by nature, (laughs) melancholy, it it can appeal to you uh, on a lot of verses. But those verses, you have to be careful, can be a dangerous book. Because you can take it out of context. If you were a young person, you could take verse 18 and say, "Dad, in much wisdom is much vexation. And whoever increases knowledge increases pain. So why do I have to go to school?" You know, you could take that out of context. So that won't work, kids. By the way, and so I wouldn't even bother to try it. But <laughs> but there it is. You can take that one verse, and it's very easy in these books of wisdom, proverbial type books to take things out of context. And not only the context, immediate context, not only the context of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the one book if you were... um, I'll speak myself. If I was stranded on a deserted island and could only have one book of the Bible, this would not be the book. (laughs) It is incomplete. It is incomplete. And so... (laughs) You need to take all the Word of God um, together and formulate. But it's so useful because it so (laughs) accurately describes what life is like under the sun. So with that, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities. There's a word I forgot to uh, talk about, the other word, Kohelet Kohelet was one, the preacher. Vanity literally is just simply a a mist, a a vapor, uh, sometimes breath, um, wind even. Uh, Literally, that's what it is. Metaphorically, of course, it's things that are transient, things that don't last. They're here and then they're gone. So that's what he's talking about. Sorry for the interruption. Vanity of vanities, verse 2, says the preacher... All is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his labor in which he labors under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth stands forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Going toward the south, then circling toward the north, the wind goes circling along And on its circular courses the wind returns. All the rivers go into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers go, there they continually go. All things are wearisome, man is not able to speak of it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new. Already it has been for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things and also of the later things which will be. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Most believe this is Solomon, of course. And I gave my heart to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous endeavor which God has given to the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. And striving after wind. What is bent cannot be straightened. And what is lacking cannot be counted. And here's what he's purposing to do. I spoke within my heart saying, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has seen an abundance of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I came to know that this also is striving after wind. Because in much wisdom, there is much vexation. And whoever increases knowledge, increases pain.
0: Take your Trinity hymn books and turn to 280, 280 in the Trinity. I love thy kingdom, Lord. Let's stand as we sing together. Well, over the last couple of weeks, three weeks, we've been considering together this topic on church officers. We're considering this topic together for a couple different reasons. It's been a while since we have considered it together. Secondly, I think it is a topic that we need to have set before us. In light of where we are even as a church, Um, it's one of those topics that perhaps we could say, as I heard someone say, we could put on the back burner, we know it's there, we know we need church officers and, and we know how they operate and what their functions are, but it's sort of there on the back burner, but it's now time, we might say, to bring it to the front burner. Uh, just because in God's providence, you know, what does our church look like over the next five years when the one pastor you have gets older and has been told he needs to slow down and read some of the instruction manual on that marriage thing and wants to dwell with his wife according to knowledge? And so, what does that all look like? And so it is a good time for us to really stop and consider. And I trust, make it all the greater a matter of prayer with regard to church officers. And as you think of church officers, we know that there are two given to us in the Scriptures. There's the elder and the deacons. And we began looking at the area of the elder together. And we said that concerning his function... He is to be an overseer. That's the one word you can use to describe a pastor or an elder or a bishop. He's to be an overseer. And, and what does that look like? Well, the Scriptures, as we looked at it together, says that he's to be, give oversight like a father to a family, like a shepherd to his sheep, or like a ruler to his people. So we have the idea of a home, of a field, and of a kingdom, and and how he is to oversee those whom God put under his charge. Now this afternoon, I just want to take a while to go back to something we considered just real quickly last week. In fact, I think what I did was I said that the eldership should be both a plurality and a parity. And then I gave you, I just listed them out, several verses that demonstrates a plurality of elders ought to function within a church. And I want to go back to that because I want you to look at the verses. I want, I want you to see them for yourself to be convinced that the norm is for a plurality of elders. I went back into my pastoral theology notes that back in those days were handwritten, so they're not always easy to read when you go back to look at them. And in the class, we were reminded that, and and this is what Pastor Martin set before us, that the normal framework for the administration of the task of oversight the normal framework for the administration of the task of oversight is that of plurality and parity of scripturally qualified overseers functioning with a genuine ecclesiastical parity and with a realistic but harmonious. Functional diversity. Now, there's a mouthful. I imagine I saw that on a test sometime in those days. But here, the, the, the thing is that the normal framework is of oversight is that of a plurality and a parity of scripturally qualified men. And we'll be looking at those qualifications. Maybe next week we'll get into that. But they, they must must be men, and then we have the qualifications there in Timothy and Titus. But there's also a parity, which we will consider briefly today. And this parity and plurality function on equal plane, and yet realizing there is diversity in their gifts. So that's what I want to consider with you this afternoon. First of all, I want to give you the, the biblical evidence... For a, for a plurality of elders. that The, the norm is that of a plurality. All right. So let's look at some of these verses. I have several down, and we'll go through them quickly, but I want you to see them. Acts chapter 14. Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas... Traveling through various cities. They're, they're strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in their faith. And knowing that those who follow Christ will face many tribulations, that will happen. And then we read verse 23 And when they appointed elders for them, the disciples, When they appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed and fasting. They appointed elders, plural, in every church, singular. That was the norm. That's what they did. Turn over to chapter 15. Chapter 15. Verse 22, we find a description of the church as being made up of apostles and elders and the whole church. So we read there, chapter 15 and verse 23. And they sent this letter by them, the apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Sicily who are from the Gentiles' greetings. And he he begins to set that out. So he says, we got this letter, and it comes from the elders. The elders. Chapter 20. Chapter 20. And verse 17. Here's Paul's final charge. To the elders at Ephesus, and we read these words. And he called for, again, the elders of the church. Elders, plural, church, singular. He called for them. Philippians chapter 1. We've already looked at this. When we said, what are the two offices of the church? Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. We find that there are deacons there are elders along with the deacons and the saints, the holy ones. The church is made up of elders and deacons and the saints. Acts 21. No, no. First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians. And again, I'm not out to exposit these things in great detail. My only purpose is for you to see that the norm is for elders in the church. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those... It doesn't say that you appreciate Him. You appreciate those who diligently labor among you And have charge over you in the Lord and give you instructions. It is just assumed that there is a plurality of men who've been given the responsibility of having charge over you and and you're to appreciate them. So we have that plurality. It is plural. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. There was to be the appointment of elders... In every city. And then turn over to James. James chapter 5. James 5. Again, it's a familiar portion of Scripture. I'm not sure that we always understand it, at least the way I believe we ought to understand it. Is any sick among you? Again, the context is that of going through affliction and difficulty. I don't think he necessarily has in mind physical ailments here. I believe he's, he's talking about endurance. If any of you are lacking in endurance in the midst of affliction and difficulties, then what are you to do? You're to call the elders, plural, that they might pray and anoint you with oil and so forth. So here we again, it's the assumption that in this particular church, when you need help and you're and you're and you're growing weary, that you call for the elders to come among you and to, to pray with you. Is anyone sick among you? Then he must call for the elders of the church, plural, and then singular, and then to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then one other verse. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. So over and over again we see that it's the norm that there be a plurality of elders in Every church. Now why is that beneficial? Why is that beneficial to have a plurality of elders? Well, we started the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. But chapter 4 and verse 9 says this, which is just really common sense. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labors. For either of them, for if either of them fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not yet another to lift him up. Two is better than one. I would argue, though I would not be dogmatic, I think 3 is better than 2. <laughs> 3 is better than 2 if you can have it. But two is better than one because one man, to labor, caring for the flock of God, has a lot of responsibility placed upon him. And, and if he falls, who's there to lift him up? Who's there to help him? Now, we have safeguards for that with regard to our assembly, but that's a question we need to ask. I think another benefit of it, you don't end up with a mini-pope. You know, you don't end up with one guy who gives all the orders and and the temptation is then to begin to be you follow me and, and, and it has almost a dictator mentality. That's happened as well. And so there's benefit to having a plurality of elders. But also when we think of a plurality of elders, I want to speak briefly about the biblical evidence for parity in the eldership parity in the eldership and by parity we mean equality in position status and rank being on par with one another most many churches have a a standard of government that goes something like this either they have a pastor then they have an assistant pastor and then they have a youth pastor and then they have but but the guy on the top of the totem pole i mean he's the pastor and he he's of a different rank than everybody else um i was joking around with my wife we the Christian Family Center offered us a free membership and I had to fill out their application. And it's only for pastors. But as I filled out the application, one of the lines says, are you lead pastor, senior pastor, youth pastor, old people's pastor? I mean, there were like seven or eight different categories. And I said, do I dare check them all? (laughs) Yes, yes. Right, and and that's the way many churches are set up. They have, or they may have pastor, and then they have elders. The, the The pastor is the head honcho, and then elders are underneath him. So the eldership works like an advisory committee to the pastor, who then makes the final decision. That's sometimes how they are set up. But the Bible indicates that in eldership, there is what we would call parity, equality in rank, position, and status. And I say that for several reasons. Number one, the quali- qualification for, for the one office is only one. There's only one set of qualifications. All who the church appoints to the office of elder have the same qualifications if they're going to be a pastor. There's not a qualification for elders who may be what we would refer to as lay elders, who don't labor in word and in prayer. And another qualifications for the man who labors in word and in prayer. Or we might say, does the Bible give us any distinction for qualifications between that of a ruling elder, a man who may have another vocation, but is called by the people to be their pastor, and the man who labors in word and in doctrine? Are there two different qualifications for these men? And there's not. There's one set of qualifications given to us in Timothy and Titus. Is there a different responsibility? Is there a different responsibility given to various men whom we might refer to as pastors? Pastors? Every pastor has a responsibility of overseeing the flock of God. The man who labors in word and in doctrine isn't the only one who's responsible for the care and oversight of the church. Every elder has that responsibility. So the qualifications of the one office is one. The responsibility given to the elders is one. Acts 20 and verse 28 is addressed to all the elders when it says, Be on your guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Shepherd the flock of God. Paul doesn't say... You who are senior pastors, be on your guard for yourself and your flock. Shepherd the church. He says to all the elders, this is your responsibility to shepherd the flock of God. Now, how that is worked out in an eldership may be flexible. But each of them Is responsible to shepherd the flock of God. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Obey your leaders. Doesn't say obey the guy that you recognize to be the senior pastor. It says, Obey them all, for each one of them will give an account to God. Any man who's been called by a church to be their pastor and their shepherd, though he may go to the office every day, seven, six days a week, 40 plus hours a day, does not excuse him from giving an account to God for taking care of the flock. They must all give an account to God. So there is a parity within the eldership. They are on equal footing. I mean, over the years, I've had people come up to me, not so much with the first elder we had, because he, I think, was a bit older than I was. But with the last elder we had besides me, people would ask me, is he your assistant? To which I, no, he's not. Oh, he's not. I thought he was a pastor here. Well, he is. But he's not your assistant. No, he's not my assistant. He's in the same rank and position that I'm in. Or, or even better, sometimes they would ask, so you must be the senior pastor. To which I could answer, yes, I am. In age. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do qualify to be the senior pastor in age, but not in position or rank. So we see that there's to be a plurality and there's a parity. But also we recognize that there needs to be a realistic but harmonious functioning diversity. There needs to be a realistic but harmonious functioning diversity. Parity does not demand a rigid division of labor. Parity does not demand a rigid equality of visibility in the ministry of the Word of God or shepherding the congregation. Elders may have different gifts. And one man may have a superior gift of ministering the Word of God than the other men may have. It does not mean in the eldership you say, well, but we're all elders. So, if you preach two Sundays, then I'm going to preach two Sundays. Or if you get Sunday morning in January, then then I get Sunday morning in February. You you recognize men may differ in their gifts. And I know some churches who have said, since there is a parity of elderships, that's how they did it. And, And if they had two men who could labor in word and in doctrine... They split everything up equally. So if, if, if you preached, they, they maybe took a month. These four weeks you're preaching, and the next four weeks I'm preaching, and the next four weeks you're preaching. Or if someone came for counseling to you this week, then the next person that comes from counseling, I get. Or if, if you did so and so's funeral, the next person that dies, I do their funeral, so if you like one elder better than the elder, you have to time out when you die. you time it out when you die, so you get the right elder to do your funeral. Parity does not mean that rigid division, but there needs to be a harmonious functioning diversity in light of their gifts we may we may have men in the eldership that are By vocational elders. We wouldn't expect them to be preaching as often as the man who gives himself to word and to doctrine. There may be different gifts. There may be someone in the eldership who just has a unique connection to young people. And you may have an elder in the eldership that, you know, young people get on his nerves. Well you're not going to say well you know this 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 month you're going to you're going to really horn in on the on the young people. And so here's a guy that okay, I got to deal with these young people. Uh and it, you got a guy who does a wonderful job with them. Parity doesn't mean you, you you ignore their different gifts and abilities. Right? It doesn't mean they're necessarily equal with regard to visibility in public ministry. You know, I, I was I was at Trinity Baptist Church for almost four years. And, and there was one man who could preach, out-preach most preachers, and, and, and of course, Albert Martin. So who do you think, if you would have visited Trinity... Who do you think you would hear in the pulpit most often? You would hear Albert Martin. And and people would come to visit and they would say, uh, We know there's a plurality of elders here, but we know, and I, I say this reverently, because <laughs> somebody has entitled him this way, we know who the big dog is. To which I would say, No, you don't. You know who preaches most often? You know who has the greatest visibility, but I guarantee you, in the elders' meeting, his voice is the same as the other elders. There's a parity there. But when you have a man like him who's in your congregation, who's part of the eldership, who has a, a real gift of expounding the word, you're going to put him in the pulpit. So it doesn't mean there's 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 not there's always equal amount of visibility with regard to the public ministry. We see something of this. Look over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5. In verse 17, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. When you have an elder who's ruling well, you are to honor him. Especially, now here's the diversity, those who work hard in preaching and teaching. All elders are are worthy of honor, but there are some who give themselves, it is their life's vocation to preaching and teaching, and they're worthy of double honor. I have a couple of commentaries to read, uh, to consider with... um, John MacArthur writes this in his commentary, While the overseers are spoken of as one body, a distinction is made between them. All are spoken of as those who direct the affairs of the church well and are are worthy of double honor. But Paul then singles out for special mention those whose work is preaching and teaching. And then another man writes, Paul is not here setting up two categories of elders, those who rule and those who preach and teach, nor is he contrasting holy and sinning elders the latter would be disqualified and not be elders at all. Paul's contrast is among faithful gifted elders to point out those who surpass the others in excellence of their ministry. So he's not setting up a two-tiered system with regard to the eldership. He's simply acknowledging that there are some in the eldership who are more able to open and preach the word of God and teach that word. Romans chapter 12 and verse 6 speaks and recognizes the differing gifts that exist within the church. And I might even say this, that parity does not rule out a primary leader. There may be one who is the primary leader within the eldership for the good of the church. Acts chapter 12 and verse 17, Acts chapter 15 and verse 13. James seems James seems to be leading taking the leading role of those men who are also elders and his equal. James is the one of the elders, who seems to be a leader among the elders. So we see that there. James 20, uh, Acts 21, verse 18. All right. So when we think of an eldership, I trust that we recognize, number one, there ought to be a plurality. That would be the norm. But within that eldership, there would be parity. They are on equal par. But thirdly, we recognize there is a diversity, a harmonious diversity. And and you know what that leads to in an eldership? Humility. Humility. To recognize there may be a man who's more gifted than, than I am in certain areas for the good of the church and be willing to say, I give to him. He's far far better at counseling than I am. He's far better at expounding the Word than I am. doesn't mean I I shouldn't expound the Word, but I recognize there's a diversity of gift that exists. And so as we pray that God would raise up elders and deacons in this church, I, I, I pray that we recognize this is what the norm looks like. Now, someone said, don't press for the norm of plurality at the expense of biblical qualification. Don't desire plurality and say, well, you know, the man's a nice guy. I I know there are some areas when you look at the qualifications, he doesn't qualify. But, But listen, when I was in school, if I got a paperback and it said 88% correct, I would be going, yes. And sometimes I think we look at the qualifications of an elder and say, that guy's got 88%. Yes! But Paul doesn't say, have much of these. He says, this man must be. And he gives the qualifications. Again, to quote, My pastor and professor back in the day, Pastor Martin, he said, having only one biblically qualified elder is an abnormality. Having two or three elders who are not qualified is sin. Having one elder biblically qualified is an abnormality. But having two or three elders who are not, each biblically qualified, is sin. It is sin. And so may God help us to pray that one day we wouldn't be abnormal. I don't like being abnormal. But that God would be pleased to bring about the norm of a functioning plurality and parity and harmonious diversity of elders in this place so that one day if i live that long and they will me in here i can rejoice with you in seeing what god has been pleased to do all right well next week we'll begin looking at the qualifications let's let's pray together Uh, father we thank you for your word and the direction that we receive from the word And Father, how we pray for the good of this church that you would be pleased in days to come to bring about a plurality of elders that labor together to care for this church. Father, we pray that as your will is done, that you would receive all the glory and the honor. And so, Father, we pray that we might look to you who is over the church, And bless you in days to come for what you have been pleased to do in our midst. For these things we do pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, in closing, I think it's your Trinity hymn book. If I can find my sheet. Here it is. 492. The Trinity hymn book. Take my life and let it be consecrated. Lord to Thee. 492. Let's stand together as we sing.